acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. Good day. I'm Ben Dolan. Oh, that doesn't pass muster, Ben. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. no, no. It's got to have more uh, more flair to it. More, uh, good day, mate. Good day. Yeah, that's maybe the better way to do it. And you know what? I know Australians are laughing at me right now because I did that. <laughs> but there's a point to be made here, Ben, and that is that this request mm. comes mainly from an Australian listener, which, by the way, we've got a lot of Australian listeners. Yeah, thanks for out. tuning in, everybody. Yeah, exactly. And it comes mainly from an Australian listener, but there were some follow-ups, I guess, because we've got uh, we've got three people that we've we've heard of that are interested in this that I want to point out here. Wayne Robertson uh, from Melbourne. Mm. Hey, nice. Ah, yes. Yeah, I was following Scott Gibbs, who was another Australian who wrote in and gave us kind of a... Uh, I don't know what a pronunciation a guide. Pronunciation guide, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said, uh, "I think it's Melbourne." No, it's, uh, it's close enough. Wayne wasn't the only one who wrote in, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've also got uh, some emails from two Americans. Yeah, we've got uh, Joshua Baker, uh huh, out there in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and, and uh, from Connecticut as well, right? Yeah, yeah. John Rinks or Rinkies uh, from Connecticut. That's right, Ben. And uh, you know. So a lot of people are interested in this, and I, I'm not even convinced that that's the only ones. I'm just convinced that those are the emails that haven't yet been deleted from my system because, you know, there's like a 90-day thing, a weird right. deletion thing. I think other people have talked to us about doing a utility vehicle uh, podcast in the past. Oh, yeah. So oh, I don't mean to shortchange them on credit for this, but, uh, you know, the Australian listeners, they're really into this because, Ben, this is a, a an Australian thing. Oh, yeah. this it's a, is It's a way of life. The Yeah. This is uh, an Aussie vehicle there are no ifs ands or buts other countries may have these vehicles uh as we'll come to find but when it comes to the culture and the lifestyle uh make no mistakes this is australian ladies and gentlemen the coupe utility vehicle better known as the ute yeah that's right and the strange thing about these are you know they've got a they've got a bed like a cargo truck would or like a pickup truck would yeah They've got a passenger compartment like um like a like a coupe would. Mm-hmm. They've got but the but also a truck has a, a coupe or a cab I think is what they call it in yeah. a truck really cab. and a bed and it's usually a bigger thing it's usually a heavy duty type thing. Uh-huh. 
Um, the strange thing about these are is they, they look more like a car, but they have the attributes of a truck in the back end, of course, and, you know, the similar, you know, two seats typically. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call these things? Where do you classify them? How do you classify them? And I guess the answer is, I mean, you just said it, it's a coupe utility, and that goes back, Ben, it goes way back to the, to the 1930s, the early 1930s. Uh-huh. And uh, it's credited to an Australian woman who wrote a letter to um, a Ford designer. And yes. this this letter, I guess, and, and this is supposedly a famous letter, I guess, you know, that uh, she wrote in and said that she's a farmer's wife and in Victoria, Australia, and said that they have they have a farm, you know, they they have a pickup truck apparently, uh-huh. and said that they they need a vehicle that they can also go to church on Sunday and they can take the pigs to the market on Monday. Why don't in the you, same vehicle? Yeah. Why don't you build uh, people like us a vehicle to go to church in on a Sunday, and which can carry our pigs to market on Mondays? Uh, said this letter uh, in 1932. Mm-hmm. Uh, in it was received in the uh, Ford Australia plant in. I'm going to mispronounce this. Geelong. Victoria? Close enough, Ben. Uh, well, we'll see. And uh, <laughs> and so this was sent to a Ford designer. His name was Lou Brandt. And Lou Brandt uh, took this to heart and said, you know what, why aren't we doing something like this? Because there have been pickup trucks around since about, and I'm going to ballpark this, Ben, yeah. 1925. Okay. When Ford, the you know, based on the Model T, created the pickup truck, and then there's, uh, you know, I think there's some again controversy over that date, and you know who had the first one or whatever. Well, but, let's qualify it as mass produced. Sure, first mass produced pickup truck, Ford, based on the Model T, 1925. So you know we're only seven years past that, mm-hmm. but the pickup truck wasn't cutting it for this woman to go to church. Apparently, she didn't want to show up to church in a dirty, you know, work truck from the farm. Right. So she needed something that had the characteristics of a coupe but could also work as a truck in the same vehicle. And Bant was only 22 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a young designer, and uh, it took him about uh, two years, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, before this this design finally got to production, which isn't really all that long when you think about what had to happen. Right. Um, so, so you know, again, this is Ford Australia that this is coming through. And by 1934, they're credited with creating the first coupe utility um, in, in, again, 1934, released for the Australian market only. So that's where it was. It was based there. That was just for them. That's their own vehicle. Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with the rest of the world. This is their own thing. None whatsoever. Uh, 112-inch wheelbase. Uh, the rear, the, the pickup bed's probably about five feet, five inches long. Payload of 1,200 pounds. Not too bad. And they were also the first vehicles uh, to offer an all-weather cabin. Mm-hmm. And of course, they did very well in the sales because people mm-hmm. love this new type of ar- type of vehicle, type of car, or truck, or whatever it is—a coupe utility. And GM's Holden division, which is a subsidiary that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast, um, yeah. they in 1935, so just one year later, Ben, they come out with kind of a uh, a response to this vehicle. You know, something that uh, they could also sell there in the Australian market, and they held on to that in the Australian market for a long, long time. In fact, both companies, Ford and Holden, are still producing Ute vehicles in Australia. Yes, and they are not the only ones in the game. Now, one thing that might seem strange to some people hearing this is that when the very first coupe utility came out in Australia, that cab was considered kind of a luxury in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the pickup trucks, I guess, um, they had a uh, more of a... I don't know. I want to say rustic or more of a rough and tumble, more of a, uh, I don't know. That's not the way to oh, put it. Oh, uh, utilitarian. Utilitarian. That's maybe the better way to put it. That it's uh, a little sparse, a little Spartan. How about yeah, that? Yeah, there maybe? we go. Nice. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it didn't have the accoutrements that a cab would have. It didn't have in you know, all the comforts 
you would expect. And you had to step way up into them. That mm. might have been a problem as well for the woman who wrote the letter that, you know, she's in her Sunday dress or whatever, and you have to sure. you know, jump up into a cab that's two feet off the ground. Or Insulation is lacking. Exactly. So if it's especially cold, if it's especially hot, mm-hmm. you know, no one wants to show up to church sweaty. Exactly. So, you know, there's a, there were a lot of good reasons behind the creation of this vehicle, and it was very smart of her to write that and say that, you know, I'm looking for something that's a, a combination of the two. And, and Ford was happy to, uh, happy to build a new car, I'm sure, that, you know, ended mm-hmm. up being wildly popular. I'm sure they were very happy afterwards, oh, yeah. as was Holden, you know, GM. Sure. They said, you know, this is fantastic. We've got this, you know, burgeoning, um, Australian market that we want to sell to, and this is the perfect vehicle for that. Do you want to talk about the Holden coupe? Uh, sure. Okay. So, uh, Holden came out with their Chevy coupe utility in 1935, mm-hmm. which to me, when we were looking into this, it's startling just how far back you culture goes because a lot of times when people think of utility vehicles outside Australia, I'll say, uh, they tend to think of sports utility vehicles, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We think of them as the, the, they're entirely enclosed. Right. I mean, we don't even think of them as having a bed like this. Um, you know, if you do go back in the United States history though, we, we do have some examples of, Utility vehicles, or uti- rather coupe utility vehicles yes. here in the United States, as well as other markets, because this caught on. I mean, it took a, a while for it to develop here, and I don't know why, Ben. I don't know why the, 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 uh, I don't know, the, the, the break in communication, or I don't know what happened exactly, because it's Ford Australia producing these things. And then we find out that Ford, the United States, produces the first coupe utility in the United States, but it's, uh, it's like, uh, what, 30 years later? No, 20 years later, 25 years later. Something like that. 25, maybe. Yeah. Um, 1957 is when Ford came out with the Ranchero here in the United States, and that lasted all the way until 1979, so it was a popular vehicle. It was a good run, yeah. It really was. It was a long run, but they didn't come out with it until 1957 as opposed to 1934 uh-huh. in Australia. That's strange to me that they wouldn't translate that over to U.S. sales. Yeah, and uh, one thing that is also interesting here is when um, when Wayne wrote to us, uh, he had a, a nice part of his email that I think did sum up part of the situation uh, for the Utes in general. He said, due to the isolation of Australia, car companies were forced to design and build cars here as importing cars to Australia was virtually impossible. Or I think maybe the only thing that I would say, Wayne, is um, I'll agree with virtually impossible, but probably more uh, it's a matter of extremely expensive. You know, it will cost so much to ship a bunch of cars to Australia that the the markup that a, an average citizen would have to pay would be just beyond affordable. Or the uh, or the profit margins would be so small that the company wouldn't even want to do that. They would just say, we're just not going to even bother with that. Right. So they had to have a, a domestic car industry. And I guess maybe maybe the uh, companies outside of Australia, including uh, GM, were uh, waiting around to see how well this did. Possibly, but 25 years or, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I gotta do the math on the numbers here. Anyways, but, um, you know, I, I've gotta believe though that Ford Australia is talking to Ford US. I know that they Surely. are. Surely. Of course they Surely. are. There's no, there's no doubt about it that they're talking to each other. They know what vehicles are produced in each, you know, in each region. And, I know that they're, I know that they're saying, like, we've got this wildly popular utility vehicle out here. You may want to give it a go in the United States and see what happens. 
Yeah. But, you know, for whatever reason, Ford must have decided that it just wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right place for them. They had other designs in mind. You know, they had other things that were more important, bigger fish to fry. Um, <laughs> right. So, and, and it wasn't long after Ford Ranchero came around that, um, and El Camino came out, you know, with Chevrolet, because they, uh, yes. they had to respond to Ford in some way. So there's about a two year gap, like we talked about in the other uh, podcast and the, the, uh, Monte Carlo podcast. Uh-huh. There's a two year gap when they were trying to develop a new vehicle, a new product. So in 1959, they came out with the Chevy El Camino. And then, you know, it wasn't long after that that, you know, like Subaru came along and, you know, some of the, uh, some of these other manufacturers that decided, well, this is a good idea. We're going to get into, uh, you know, these, these compact u- utility vehicles or these coupe Ooh. utility vehicles because, um, a lot of people really, really enjoy them. They're, they're very functional. They're very, um, um, I don't know. They just, they suit a lot of people for a lot of different needs. Yes, and I have to point this out. Can I? Could I tell a story briefly, Scott? Of course. All right. The El Camino. I have personal experience in El Camino. That's right, you do. You and I have talked a, a little bit about this off the air. So I guess this would be back in probably the early 90s or so. Uh, my... My dad buys an El Camino uh, from his boss. That's a bad move. We find out about it when he comes home, and this just monstrosity, man. It's um, it's probably third, fourth generation, mid late seventies, right? So it's a big one. It's huge. It's a beast. You can smell the burning oil down the street. Mm -hmm. He's hobbling home. My mom doesn't know. what the French is going on since we are a family show. And, uh, at first, uh, old man Bolin is in some hot water when he, when he explains, yes, I bought this. We have this now. And, you know, my mother's saying, what, how much did you pay for this thing? This is ridiculous. She thought it was a rolling pile of crap because the car had been through a lot. It wasn't in the best condition. And he said, well, we argued about the price a lot. And then I insisted, uh, you know, my my boss wanted to give it to me just to get it out of his yard, and I insisted that I pay at least eighty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal! Yeah, what a deal! What a and deal. This, that's cool. And did you and you got to drive this car, right? Uh, yeah, I got oh, to drive it. Very good. Now I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know if there's a statute of limitations for this. I was underage. I was under adult supervision. That's okay. This car was. Uh, I loved it, man. Is a monster because it had it. It has actually some pretty sizable performance. Um, even in this dilapidated condition, we had it for years. It had a hole in the passenger side floorboard with a plank of wood. And so one of my favorite things to do was to lift up the plank of wood. And, uh, thank God I was never dumb enough to actually try this, but I'd lift up the plank of wood and try to run like a oh, Flintstones no. car. Oh no, that's a, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Yeah. It's, and I, you know, I'm pretty good at terrible ideas, but yeah. even I threw that one out the window. That would pull you right under. So one thing that we know about these is that um, they're pretty powerful engines, but the the Ranchero and the El Camino um, in the U.S. were were sort of, I, I guess, confusing to um, the pickup truck culture yes. in the United States. Yes, because in the United States, the pickup truck, uh, I guess the versions of the pickup truck that we are accustomed to, rather, have grown into more heavy-duty, uh, purpose-built vehicles, and that they would have, you know, specific beds for different jobs, even. Yeah. And they would have, uh, you know, something that's it's clearly separated. I mean, that you can see that there's even a, a gap between the cab and the bed. It's not like a coupe design, where it's all one flowing design. Right. Um, you know, you can picture what I mean. There's no gap between the bed and the 
and the, the passenger compartment. And, you know, it wasn't anything like what, uh, what the Australians were seeing in their vehicles where there were some, I guess I'll, I'll call them luxury appointments if you can at that time. You know, they were, they were more advanced, I guess, than what, uh, the utilitarian pickup trucks would be oh, here yeah, in the United States. Absolutely. And, and we had definitely gone the opposite way in that they were used more as heavy duty work vehicles and, and strictly for that. And then we had other vehicles for different purposes, whereas they were trying to meld the two together mm. and did so very successfully. Yeah, and continues to do so today. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, well, I don't want to go straight no, to the future. How about less? Let's not go to the future because I want to, I want to hold off on that for a bit. I know okay. we're going to talk about, um, Holden. We're going to talk about yes. Ford, um, Australia. We're going to talk about some of the, the, uh, the modern versions of these things that we, we definitely want to get to. I, I also want to go into a little bit more Ranchero history, a little bit more El Camino history mm-hmm. okay. and talk about some of the, the big engines and some of the small engines oh, and some good. of the, yeah. uh, some of the vehicles that they were derived from. But I think we should kind of stay maybe in the early days of the Ute right now right. and, uh, and stick with Australia if you don't mind. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, we need to mention this too, that there was a convertible version of the road, uh, the, the, uh, utility vehicle that popped up in the early 1930s or the mid 1930s rather. And it was called the Roadster Utility. And this is, you would think it would be something completely outlandish, but you got to remember there were Ford pickup trucks that were also Roadsters that had a similar look to them at the time. So, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's really making sense in the way these, t- these two things are working together. And then, and then eventually they start to drift apart. Like I just mentioned with, you know, the U.S. taking more of a uh, heavy duty stance on trucks, pickup trucks. Yeah. And then them taking the, uh, the, the, the angle more towards utility vehicles or coupe utility vehicles, which are more of a, uh, a passenger car with a bed also. Yes, and uh, let's see, let's go into... How about the 1950s? Okay. All right, so 1951, Holden replaced, um, or they released a model based on its uh, 48215 model, which was a sedan, mm-hmm. and it was sort of it sort of made, um, like, the, the Australia at that point, you know, by, by 1951, they were the leading builder of coupe utility vehicles at the time. Now, Holden, they had to surpass Ford, which, you know, initially started this whole thing. With the Ford Falcon? Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So in 1951, Holden is really surpassing Ford even at their own game, I guess. And um, it's kind of a tradition, you know, that Holden has kind of hung on to for a long, long time of building these two-door passenger car, sedan chassis-based utility vehicles, you know, uh-huh. that have this tray at the back. And, and Holden's really, really good at this. And we'll talk about Holden's specialty vehicles soon enough. Yes, all great points. And, you know, Scott, I owe you an apology because I think I jumped a little bit around into modern era stuff. No, not a problem because that plays a big role in this podcast. Oh, which we're, well, yeah, which we're going to go into. But first, uh, it's time for a word from one of our sponsors. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was good. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, it's speaking of don't of not wanting to be left behind. That leads us directly to Ford's constant catch-up game with Holden, right? Yeah, well, yeah. No, the opposite way around. Oh, wait, the opposite. Yeah, well, you're yeah, right. Ford yeah, the, started it. Ford started it. Holden dominated it. That's right. And then Ford tried to come back. They did. And uh, and they did so in the United States market as well. They uh, they yeah. decided let's translate this over to U.S. sales, like we mentioned. You know, because I said you know mm-hmm. there's that time lag in between when they developed this in in Australia and then yeah. when they released it in the United States. And you know it's very popular in Australia, but they came out with the Ranchero in the United States in 1957, and that lasted until 1979. So again, it's a good long run. It's a coupe utility vehicle, front engine, rear wheel drive. And there were three classes of vehicle then that were built between, you know, in that era. Right. Uh, so if you look at the full size vehicles from 1957 to 1959, those were based on the Ford Fairlane. Uh, if you go to the, the next set of vehicles, which, and these don't follow the generations, by the way, there were seven generations of Ford Ranchero, um, but only three different size classes. Uh, the next size class is compact, and that was from 1960 to 1965, and that was based on the Ford Falcon. Yeah. And this is the kind, I see a lot of these Ford Falcon Rancheros around. I think that they must have produced the most of those, of that type. I think so. If I had to guess, because that's the kind that I typically see, you know, parked in, uh, you know, someone's yard with weeds growing through it or whatever. You know, I'd see a lot of them on the road by any means. I saw one on the road one time. Really? One time. <laughs> yeah, one time. Yeah, that's a good, good point. But I saw one at a, I did see one. As a matter of fact, two days ago, a Ford Falcon-based one at a body shop that was in all primer, still had some rust on the body, some yeah. rust holes. The interior was gone, and it had look, what looked like just shop wheels on it, you know, like the, the rims that are just generic rims that are painted bright red so they don't yeah. leave the shop on the car, mm-hmm. that type of vehicle. But 
other than that, you know, I haven't seen any on the road for a long time. That sounds like a mechanic's pet. Yeah, size. exactly. The, the, maybe it was. Maybe it's a shop yeah. project. The uh, the last one was the midsize uh, vehicle, or Ranchero, rather. It was from 1966 to 1979, and, and they call that midsize. To me, Ben, that was a pretty big vehicle because it was based on the Torino and the Ford LTD, and even, Ben, to some extent, in 1977, yeah. the Ford Thunderbird which I found kind of strange. But I guess if you look at it, you can really see, um, you know, the Torino coming out through it. You can see the Thunderbird characteristics in it. Yeah. A lot of manufacturers do that. They take characteristics of one popular model and they put them on another just so that, you know, it's a, it becomes a, a more marketable venture, I guess, for them. It's up to, it's, I, I file that under don't fix it if it ain't broke. Yeah. Well, I mean, know? the whole thing was based on a two-door station wagon design. It was adapted from that. And, of course, it had the cab and cargo area, just like you would expect. And it sold so well that um, GM eventually had to, you know, you know, I guess compensate by coming up with their own version of that, which was the El Camino I'll talk about in just a minute. Uh-huh. Um, but for the Ford Ranchero, they had a, a bunch of different engines for this through the seven generations, as you can imagine. And I'll just mention that, you know, the smallest and the largest. How about that? And maybe that sounds perfect. Well, how about this one other interesting version too? I think we'll throw in there. Uh, but the smallest was 170 cubic inch engine, which is only 2.8 liters, Ben. And they called that the Thrift Power I6. Uh, <laughs> so an inline inline six engine. Yeah. And it was basically the uh, the Falcon Six engine. If you ever heard of the Falcon Six, mm-hmm. that's what this engine was. Uh, makes sense, I guess. You know that it would go in the the compact version of the of the Torino. I'm sorry, the the Ranchero rather. The Thrift. Version. The, yeah, the thr- <laughs> thrift power inline six. Right. Uh, I don't know if I'd really want that version. Anyways, the um, the largest engine, Ben, it went all the way up to 460 cubic inches, which is uh, 7.5 liter V8, and that was the sixth generation between 72 and 76. Mm. Um, and I guess i got to mention this last one, because there was a Ranchero GT version, and we just talked about GT cars not too long ago, but yep. Ranchero GT, and it was based on the four, uh, Ford Torino GT trim package, I guess, that had the same type of trim package as, as you would find on the, the Torino. And it had the 428 Cobra, Cobra Jet V8. And then I think later that came out with a version that had the 429 Cobra Jet V8. Hmm. Or rather, just the 429 V8. I don't know if it's a Cobra Jet or not. Okay. Um, but still, you know, fantastic versions of those things. And we mentioned that, you know, Chevy came out with something as a reaction car. Ah. And this is your favorite, right? Yeah. Uh, well, not your favorite, but the one you have, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The you have one history that, with. with. That I have history with, uh, the El Camino. Mm-hmm. But, um, the El Camino has a precedent, uh, because in around 1955, Chevy introduced the Cameo Carrier, mm-hmm. which is a pickup truck. But you'll, you'll hear people say that this is sort of a harbinger of the Camino. And the reason they'll say that, is because it had some things that were, even though it was a light-duty pickup truck, it had some things that were typically associated with cars at the time. So passenger car styling, rear fenders, uh, a luxurious interior, optional V8 and auto transmission and so on. Mm-hmm. I think the automatic transmission was one of the big ones that sure. more associated with a car at that yeah, time. Understood. So throwing in some uh, what we'll call luxury features. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course... uh so Chevy kind of is testing waters with this, and they see that there's enough of a market due to Ford's Ranchero that in 1959 they create the El Camino. Um, and it was it apparently uh, the original El Camino and the original Ranchero only directly compete in 1959. But um, that's because they started aiming for different things. 
So people will tell you that the Ranchero is a little bit more conservative in mm-hmm. comparison to the El Camino, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Which, what, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know, Ben, because it, it only had a, an initial run, a production run from 1959 to 1960. And you said that that's the only years that they competed. Now, when they went to a different, uh, different market, I guess, is what you're saying. They went to, uh, they competed in different, uh, arenas, I suppose. Yeah. That's because true. I think, and uh, it, tell me if I'm reading this wrong. Okay. It seems like the Ranchero didn't compete in the, uh, in the performance arena very much. I mean, as far as the way the El Camino did, because El Camino, when you, when you start to talk about the different generations and the performance, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the performance of the El Camino, they started to go more towards the performance end of things and, and, you know, the, the, uh, the luxury features and all that, you know, Ooh. that, uh, you didn't find necessarily in, or wait, am I back in that? Am I making a mistake on that? Well, you said Ford had a few luxury features as well. Well, think, yeah, but what I I guess what we're we're saying, I think you're on the right point here with the the performance okay. of an El Camino because um, you know Hot Rod magazine famously in uh, they they conducted a test of an El Camino that had the powertrain combination available in 1959. So that's a 315 bhp triple car. Or triple carb, excuse me, uh, 348 V8, uh, with a four speed, right? Okay. So they got zero to 60 in around seven seconds. Estimated top speed, 130 miles per hour. So this thing is not joking. That is a, uh, you know what? I would just say that's a performance car. I, that's a performance uh, for car the, territory. For, for that, sure. for 1959, that is definitely a performance vehicle. Now, now again, that would have had a, a limited run in 1959 to 1960, and then it went away for about four years. Yes. It came back in 1964 to 1980, and then it lasted until 1987. Um, but it, the thing is, the 1964 all the way through 1977 version was based on the Chevelle pa- platform, and that tells you right there, basing it on the Chevelle, this is a performance car. It's a, it's a sports car, hmm. you know, with, uh, with, uh, what, sheep's clothing, I guess. Maybe. Is that the <laughs> yeah, way to put it? You that's mean, a great it way to put it. It didn't look like anything really all that spectacular. I mean, it was a neat looking car, and there were, yeah. there were some versions of it that, you know, had some really cool looking trim packages, you know. That, sure. Um, and there was a Chevelle SS, I'm sorry, not a Chevelle, a, uh, an El Camino SS version that we'll talk about, but, um, yeah, I mean, based on the on the Chevelle, they also had some of the Chevelle engines, of course, right. and you know the Super Sport engine, the 396, which was a series engine that was also available on the Chevelle, 325 to 375 horsepower, something like that, and I think it went up even from there. But we're talking about like the second gen and fifth gen vehicles because there were five generations of El Camino total, uh-huh. and then later in 1978 to 1987, uh, they switched it over to a vehicle that was based on the G body platform, and the G body platform. Is like the Buick Regal, the Chevy Malibu, the Monte Carlo, the Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, the Calais, uh, some of the Pontiacs like the Bonneville and the Grand Prix, right. a lot of other vehicles. So the G body platform was was a popular choice uh, in General Motors at that time, and that's why they did that. But from '64 to '77, Ben, based on that Chevelle platform, these things were real. I mean, just out and out performance vehicles, really. Right. I mean, they had that that truck bed, and I understand that that probably hurt them a bit. Uh, but you could get, you know, the economy version if you got the smallest engine, which was a 194 cubic inch 3.2 liter inline six, you know, kind of small, but they went all the way up to a 454 V8 engine, which is, you know, that's 7.4 liters. That's exactly. a strong engine. Yeah. And everybody knows, I think, the 454, but I think the, the SS 396, I think that was the strongest one. And something really weird happened, Ben, uh, you know, right around that time, if, if people recall, um, that was when the EPA, was it the EPA who did this? They, they adjusted the, uh, the gross to net horsepower ratings of all cars, um, released in 1972. Right. So, uh, didn't this lead to, uh, being 
detuned a bit well, for fuel economy you know, as well. I don't know about detuning, and they may have done that, but the, but the thing is that you know, when they did the switch over from gross horsepower to net horsepower, what happened was is that the gross horsepower was just the engine on a stand. Right. And it was measuring just raw horsepower coming right out of the engine, right at the crank, right? And the net horsepower is the horsepower that makes it to the road. Uh, and moves the weight of the vehicle as well. That's a, that's a good way to put it, Ben. It's with all accessories and emissions controls hooked up to the vehicle. Yeah. And my own personal car, my, my Newport, my Chrysler Newport yeah. suffers from this because oh, no. I have a, a, an engine, a 440 engine that's the TNT version, supposedly the high horsepower engine, the right? HP version. Yeah. But it's from a 1972 car and it's in a 1967 body. So in 1972, the engine itself is rated far lower than it was in even 1971, even though it's the exact same engine. And it's rated lower than it was in 1969 and 1968. So it's a real frustrating thing for people that have an engine from 1972 that's the same engine. Ouch. And there's no difference. It's just it gets the the book rating as being far lower. So, for instance, in 1970, if you got a 454 El Camino, you know, with 454 cubic inch engine, it was rated at 450 horsepower, Ben. 450. Oh. That's a huge amount of horsepower for a car. I mean, even a big heavy car like that. And that was the LS6 V8. The same LS6 V8 in 1972, the same 454, rated at 270 horsepower on the new net ratings. So you can see the dramatic decrease in, in power rating, even though it's the same engine. And, you, right. know, and, you know, it doesn't matter the difference in the... Uh, in what they say in the books, it's what you feel, really, I guess, right? Well, sure, yeah. A rose by any other name for all the uh, English lit majors yeah, out there. Yeah, I guess <laughs> so, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, like, you you understand that, you know, like, it's frustrating what happens to the, to these engines and the power drop off at that point and why it happened at that point. So Yeah, and it and it stinks, too, for a car collector yeah, to, I, to say, like, I have the I have a vehicle that on the road, when the rubber hits the pavement can do exactly what uh, any other vehicle from uh, a year previous would do. Exactly. And then in 1973, which is one year post these new net ratings, that's when uh, Chevy came out with the El Camino SS, which is the trim option that was available at that time. Right. Uh, Fourth generation, it had a a 350 engine or a 454 big block. Um, And I think, man, I don't know the horsepower ratings on these things, but I know that it was that dropped off. Uh, horsepower rating. So you might look at an El Camino SS from that range and say, yeah. eh, I don't know about the performance of this thing. But it, the truth is, it's a big, powerful, big block engine. And unfortunately, for fans of Ranchero, this great uh, competition ended up with a winner. And I think we can go ahead and call that winner the El Camino, just based on production. I think so. I mean, uh, El Camino, in here here in the United States, we need to clarify Ooh, that. Good clarify. In the United States, because we're going to move back to Australia for our Australia listeners in just a moment. Uh, but, you know, El Camino stuck around until 1987, and I think Ranchero was done by 1979. Uh, so there's an eight-year difference there. I guess uh, Chevy decided to hold on to that model just a little bit longer and see if they could, you know... Pull a rabbit out of the hat and see if they could keep the sales up. Yeah. And I think they just kind of slowly declined and decided that mm, maybe it's, maybe it's something we're not going to continue to invest in. Now, let's move back to Australia. Yes. Let's travel back because there's, uh, there's still a lot of coupe utility production going on there. And I'll tell you that it's a, it's a neck and neck battle for a long, long time between, uh, Ford Australia and GM's Holden division. Which, uh, which is just like a subsidiary of General Motors, which is run in the, in 
the Australia on the Australian continent over in Australia, New Zealand, Tasmania, yeah. that area. But those cars are all referred to as Holdens, not as GM. Yeah, yeah. You so. wouldn't say that. You would say it's a Holden Holden Ute, and I think yeah. that's the Holden Ute is the uh, kind of generic term, I guess, for the whole line of utility vehicles that Holden produces because there's several. I mean, they do the uh, the, the standard Holden Ute. They do the SV6. They have the whole SS range of yep. vehicles. So if you say Holden Ute, that kind of covers them all, right? It's I like mean, an umbrella term. Uh, there is one Ute on our way from the States to Australia. There is one Ute that we should talk about. What's that one, Ben? It's the Ute that never was, Scott. Oh, yeah. You know what? Um, sure. Do you want to wait, wait till the end? Oh, tell you what. Let's tease this just a little bit, and we'll okay. say that uh, at the end, we're going to talk about a Ute that was supposed to be here in the United States as of uh, four years ago now. Yeah. Never showed up. Never mm. showed up. And and it would have been, and I I feel strongly about this, I yeah. think this would have been a wildly popular vehicle. I do want to hear about that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, well, we've teased okay. it for the end. All so right, so we're, here we are in Australia. We're still talking about Holden. And I want to tell you that, you know, these are still, these are pretty strong performance vehicles, Ben. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, oddly enough, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers, and they're given in kilowatts, which is a little odd for us here in the United States. You know, the the, uh, the ratings, the power ratings. And sure. I've, I've converted them. So, you know, the Holden Ute, the standard Ute, uh, produces 210 kilowatts of power from a 3.6 liter V6. That's 281 horsepower. That is, is great. That's pretty strong. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty pretty strong engine for, you know, the type of size of vehicle that we're talking about. And then there's the SV6, and that's, again, 210, so, again, 281 horsepower. And then there's the whole SS range, and there's three versions of the SS range. There's the SS, the SSV, and then the SSV Redline. And these produce 362 horsepower, Ben. That's pretty strong. I mean, that's, that's close to four. I mean... Well, 362? 362 horsepower from, and all from the, all from the same engine. They all have this, uh, a six liter Gen 4 V8 engine that's, uh, I think it's an alloy engine. Um, very strong engine. But I'll tell you, Ben, that's not the, uh, that's not the creme de la creme. That's there's, not the creme de la creme. No, it is not. There's a, there's another version of the Holden vehicles that we, that we will get to. But I also want to talk about the, the mention rather that Ford is still building Ute vehicles in Australia. So you can go right now, you can go to a Ford Australia website and look up the, uh, you know, let's say you look up the 2013 Ford Falcon Ute, because they're still building the Falcon in Australia. Pretty popular model. A lot of the, us, a lot of here, us here in the United States will say, well, they haven't built the Falcon for a long, long time, right? <laughs> but they still do there. Yeah. Uh, I think they have a sedan version. They have, uh, I don't know if they have a coupe version or not. They also have this, uh, this Ute version and they have actually five different body styles of the Ute in, in the Ford Falcon version. So. And are those, uh, a lot of those are differences in tray size, right? Well, yeah, I think some of that is in, in different shape, I suppose, because yeah. there's a, a cab chassis, which looks a m- lot more like what we think of as a small pickup truck. Um, and then there's, of course, an XR6 version of the same thing. Then there's a single side box version, which I, I will have to look up the difference between these. There's small differences. It's way them. easier if you visit the website and check them out. Exactly. Yourself, and then the again, photos. Again, an XR6 version of the same thing. Ooh. This, uh, this, uh, what is it? A style side box, I think is what I said. Ooh. And then there's the XR6 Turbo, which has um, an inline six engine with, uh, again, 198 kilowatts of power, which is 269 horsepower. So that's again another strong Ute, and that's coming from Ford. Yes. And okay, I'm going to mention these right now, and then we'll go to the Holden version because the Holden version is just a, a just a notch above them, I think, in performance. All right. All right. So there's. You know, we mentioned the Ford Falcon. Yep. There's also a company called Ford Performance Vehicles in Australia, and it was founded in 2002, and they're called FPV, I guess, for short. Mm-hmm. And headquarters are in uh, Melbourne, 
Australia, Victoria, <laughs> Australia. And uh, FPV F6 Tornado Ute from about 2005 or th- 2008 to present produces 310 kilowatts of power, Ben, from a 4-liter turbo engine. That's 420 horsepower in a, in a Ute vehicle. And wow. The, and when you look at it, yeah. it looks like a sport vehicle. I mean, it looks like a sports car. Um, if you didn't see the back end, if you just saw it straight from the front, yeah. it looks like a sports car. I bet I I bet its acceleration has got to be pretty nasty, I, too. I don't, I don't have any idea what the 0 to 60 is or any of that. So. I mean, we'll have to look it up on the website. But, uh-huh. I mean, just to give you an idea of the type of power that some of these brand-new Utes are producing. I mean, again, 420 horsepower from this Ford. Yeah. And then we're going to go up just a little bit more for the Holdens. This is the creme? This is the one. All right. All right. So Holden has a vehicle or a line of vehicles, I guess. And I don't even know if you can say it's Holden's because it's a subsidiary of Holden vehicles, I think, or a... Um, I guess an, another another company that they ship the vehicles to a specialty manufacturer, and they do performance upgrades on on their cars. And I don't think this is all that unusual to any of our listeners because you know BMW has its M cars, sure. AM, you know Mercedes has its AMG division, and uh, and Holden has its ver- division called HSV or Holden Specialty Vehicles, and they produce a car and it's got a funny name. It's fun fun to say, the Malou, <laughs> and right. yeah. the HSV Malou. They make something called the the standard Malou, and then they make a Malou R8 version. And even the standard Malou, Ben, the standard Malou, which has a 6.2-liter LS3 Gen 4 V8, produces 317 kilowatts of power, which is 425 horsepower. And when you look at it, you know, look, yeah. at, look at a photo of the uh, the HS, HSV Malou online, and I think you'll be blown away because it, it has a lot of characteristics of, like, um, and I know this is a silly comparison, but sure. like a Corvette or something like that. It has side vents. It has, um, you know, just a, a low squatted down appearance, wide wheels. Okay. Um, it's a very long vehicle. Um, in a way, it kind of grabs you as a, as that type of vehicle, even though it has a truck bed on the back. So it's a low slung performance vehicle with a truck bed. With a truck bed that you can haul your pigs to market on Monday, right? Yeah, and race on Wednesday. Yeah, race on Saturday, go to church yeah. on Sunday, and yeah. yeah, exactly. So, um, and then they make a version called the Malou R8, which is just a little bit even more, a little bit more performance squeezed out of the same engine, 325 kilowatts of power or 436 horsepower. That's got to be the top. That is the top, and wow. people and people are using these to to you know break production uh, production uh, speed records. I guess yeah. um, a guy took a, in June of two thousand six a regular production Z series Malou R eight broke the world's record for the fastest production utility pickup truck, and that's what they call it for this uh, this thing, a utility pickup truck. He went and it doesn't sound all that fast, but you got to remember it's a it's a pickup truck. It went two hundred and seventy one kilometers per hour or one hundred and sixty eight miles per hour, and you think. Well, 168, that's fast, but it's not real fast. Right. Consider this. It took the record away from a Dodge Ram SRT10, which is the Dodge Ram pickup with the Viper V10 yeah. engine. Yeah. And the, the top speed that that had was 13.7 miles per hour slower than the Malou R8. Whoa. So you get an idea of how fast this thing is. And we know, we know the Dodge Ram SRT10 here in the United States uh-huh. as a production, you know, speedy, I don't know how to put this, a, a fast, production truck sure. Extre- extremely fast as you right. can imagine right mm-hmm. well this tops that so you can imagine just how quickly they're moving along and it's a smaller vehicle i guess maybe that's got something Some, that's like, going weight, for it weight to power yeah i guess right. so but you know it doesn't have the big v10 of the srt10 but it does have a, a very strong v8 as you would find in a corvette again hello 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And let us uh, let us not be remiss. Uh, you guys, we know that we've been talking primarily about U.S. and Australian manufacturers of utes, but there are worldwide manufacturers because the market has grown so much that other car companies saw this in Europe and Asia and said, we have got to get in the game. What are we doing? We're just losing money. So uh, Subaru has a um, – the Japanese manufacturer Subaru has the Brumby. Uh, this is a small all-wheel drive model. It comes from uh, the second-generation Lyon. Um, this was sold between 1978 and 93. Um, it's – it shows up in popular culture. It was built in Japan, but they never sold it in Japan. And then there's one that, uh, the, the name of this one makes me laugh, Scott. The Suzuki Mighty Boy. Suzuki Mighty Boy. Yeah. That's an odd name. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a version of the Alto. Um, and they sold it in Japan, Australia, and here's a wild card for you. Cyprus. No kidding. 
apparently Cyprus also mm. wanted a Mighty Boy. Mm. Um, so Toyota also sold some um, Ute variants of the Corona. Um, and then they also had uh, the Toyota Hilux, which in 2011 was Australia's highest selling Ute. Now, I've heard of that one before. I think they had a Crown also. There was one called a Crown. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, man, I, there's, a, there's a lot of different manufacturers. I mean, they're from Australia, United States. There's uh, sure. Latin America market. There's, uh, yes. there's South, a- South Africa. Yep. Uh, you mentioned Jap- uh, Japan or the, for the Japanese market. Yeah, BMW. There's, uh, there's even Soviet Russia cars. Um, the, the Lada. Uh, the lot of manufacturers created a utility vehicle that they call the coupe utility, uh-huh. um, but it's really you know it's a it's a lotta with a with a small bet on the back. Sure. Um, as you as we mentioned, those are pretty decent off road vehicles. I mean, they they can be. Uh-huh. Um, so they're all. When I think of Subaru, Ben, you know, you, you were surprised me with the Subaru that you mentioned. I don't remember which one it was now. Uh, was the Brumby. The Brumby. I always think when I think Subaru, I think of uh, two things. I think of the Baja, which is the more recent version. Sure. And then I think of the Subaru Brat. I knew you were going to say Brat. Yeah, yeah. The Brat with those two seats that would face rearward, and you yeah. had kind of the uh, the ski handles with the the pistol grips on them, uh-huh. or the uh, almost like ski grips, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I just picture that vehicle every yeah. time I think of uh, this type of thing, the coupe utility, yeah, um, or Subaru in general. Really. And actually, the um, I think that it it was it's the same vehicle. It's called the Brat in other countries. Oh, no kidding. It's the Brumby in Australia. Oh, okay. Now, somebody check me. Perhaps I am wrong on this one. I'm not sure exactly what it's called. But it's been called the Brat, the Shifter, the MV, or the Targa. And and there's like uh, Plymouth made them. They made the uh, the Rampage and the Scout. Yeah. Uh, They made uh, some from, there was Hyundai who made a car called the Pony. Um, there's, uh, let's see, Morris who made the Marina pickup, uh, Volkswagen has made a bunch of these. I know that they've got a few out there. There's a, a manufacturer called Singer who made them in the 1950s. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different versions of this and we're only covering really just a couple, but yeah. you know, the Australian market is just flooded with, uh, with Ford and Holden vehicles. And, you know, speaking of, of Holden vehicles and, and, you know what? I'll tell you what. I don't okay. want to get to the very last thing yet. Okay. I want to talk about a couple of prototypes that, that um, beforehand, and then we'll get to the last thing. How about that? Okay. Well, before we jump into that, um, can I say something about the cultural impact with this? Of course. I think it's important to note. Um, in his letter, uh, Wayne notes some things about Utes uh, in Australia. And this is this is stuff that I think will be interesting. Now, Australian listeners, you probably already know about this. So this is more of a clarion call to anybody around the world listening to the show who's planning to head to Australia and likes Utes. Uh, there's an annual event in the town of Deniliquin, uh, which I am probably grossly mispronouncing. Pre- mispronouncing. <laughs> uh, two, so, for, two for one there. Two for one there. Uh, so thousands of people come together with their Utes. And Wayne says, I can only describe this as a burning man without with the distinct aim of burning rubber instead so you can these are called you musters that's uh whenever people in australia meet up to have their uh to to show their utes to drive them around together mm-hmm. all right so you can you can see these all across australia especially in rural areas australia and new zealand particularly and one of the things that i thought you and i would both really like and i think our listeners like this too is the heavily customized use. Oh, very cool. So we're talking 
Got some spotlights on there, some mud flaps, some aerials. This sounds pretty. This sounds pretty neat. So some are set up for full off-road and and remote use. Yes, use yes, in very very remote areas in Australia, right? Yeah, those so, do sound interesting. So I wanted to uh, just note again what a what a tremendously big impact uh, that these vehicles have had, and why they've why they've uh, inspired car companies from across the world. To make cars, ju- or to make utes, just for this market. Well, that muster sounds like an interesting thing to attend. That sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, um, it, you said it's like a Burning Man with with utility vehicles. Yeah, just for just for burning rubber. Interesting. Yeah, and then you want one quick thing here. Yeah, isn't a muster what they call it when you on a cruise ship when you have to put on your life jacket and go onto the main deck to the area that you would board <laughs> your? I think it's what that's what they call is it. Is that right? what they call it? I believe that is. I maybe I'm you go on a lot that, of cruises. I, I've been in a couple, but I thought that's what they call it—a muster when you go. You put on your jacket, you know, your life jacket, and you go down and you wait in the area where you would board your your life raft if it came to that. Hopefully, it never does. Yeah, but I think that's what they call a muster. Anyways. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, we're on. way off track here sorry, now. Let's, uh, let's get back to, uh, prototypes. I want to mention two prototypes, and then yes. I want to talk about that, uh, that last one that we talked about, the, uh, the uh, youth yes. that never was. Uh-huh. Um, so the prototypes, I want to talk about the, uh, the, this one that we've, we've heard of this one before, a guy named Joshua Baker. Um, and Joshua Baker, is that one of the, yeah, yeah Joshua, Joshua wrote to us, uh, about this episode. Yeah. So Joshua Baker has contacted us in the past from Virginia and said that, um, he wanted to hear a little bit about the AMC Cowboy. Remember that vehicle? Ah, uh, yes. And that was a, this odd vehicle that he had come across during research or something. And he mentioned it to us in that it was a, an AMC Gremlin kind of mixed with a Jeep pickup. Mm. And it was just this odd, strange thing that AMC um, never really put forth. They, uh, they decided that, you know, once, um, AMC acquired Jeep, um, or they decided that they just weren't going to build this because they already had something that was similar. It wasn't going to work out, but, um, look up the AMC cowboy and take a look at that photo and see if it was something that you would purchase. <laughs> Let but, us uh, know. Yeah, exactly. And then there was another one that was called the BMW M3 Ute pickup. And, uh, this is a more recent version. This one is from, and this is strange, man. April Fool's Day in 2011. So it kind of makes you wonder right there, you know, when they release this information on April Fool's Day, is it really something they're going to do? And and BMW announced on that day that they were going to create a BMW M3 U pickup. And what it turned out being, Ben, is that they they created this thing as kind of a shop vehicle. Yeah, it's uh, on the basis of an E93 convertible. Exactly. And we've heard this before. There was a Rolls-Royce truck. Yeah. That they created as a shop truck, remember? And this, yeah. this is true. I mean, it really happened. And there really is a BMW M3 Ute pickup. Right. It's just used as a shop vehicle for BMW. Yeah, you can't buy it. And same with the Rolls-Royce. It was just a, a shop vehicle for the factories to, tr- you know, transport materials back and forth within the factory. Yeah. And I don't know if it was ever sold or if anybody ever picked it up. I don't remember what the story was behind uh, that. I can't. We'll have to look into that. But interestingly enough about this uh, the April Fool's BMW vehicle, it was called a pickup. In uh, the UK and the US, in Australia, it was called a Ute. Of yeah. course, it was. Now, what else are they going to call it? I mean, it does look like a Ute. I'll tell it, you that. It totally looks and, like a Ute. Okay, I know. I promise we're going to do one more thing, but um, I got one thing I want to slide in before that. How about All that? Right. And a quick mention, and then we're done. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at the shape and general size of of these Ute vehicles, and what it called to mind. And if you if you're not familiar with these, take a look at them online. Just do Google Google search and look at the photos. The old Cadillac flower cars. From the uh, like professional cars and uh, you know like when we're talking about ambulances and hearses, yeah, yeah, there were and Cadillac made a car called a flower car that was either going to carry the casket 
or it would just carry flowers to and from the the funeral home and the and the um, the graveyard. And there were processional vehicles, you know, and they were very ornate and large vehicles, but they have the exact same size and look of of the Ute vehicles we're talking about. A little bit longer, maybe, because they were great big vehicles, big Cadillacs. Yeah. But very interesting, I guess, correlation between the two. They, to me, they look like they could be called a Ute vehicle, even though I know that they're a professional vehicle and with a very specific purpose. The only reason I know what the flower car is is because of our episode on hearses. Mm-hmm. And if you, if the listeners haven't, you know, uh, well, listen to that podcast, they should do that. But yeah, um, I thought that was a good one. That was a fun one to do. Yeah. And also the, uh, if you just quickly look up the, uh, the flower car, the Cadillac flower cars, and you'll see exactly what I mean. They have a, uh, a very strong, um, resemblance to the youths that we're talking about. And now we come to the final moment. Yeah, the last thing that we wanted to talk about. And this is the, uh, this is a strange thing, Ben, because it was scheduled to happen. Now, you remember we talked about Holden and their connection with General Motors, their right. subsidiary. Yep. Well, this makes sense when you think about it, but Pontiac, when they started making that car called the G8. Yeah, the Pontiac G8ST. Yeah, they specifically. Well, this ST stands for sport truck, right? Yep. And the sports truck was a vehicle that we never got, but it was a, a concept vehicle that was shown at the New York International Auto Show in 2008. And it was a, again, a concept that I think people were favorable to this thing. They said they were actually going to b- produce it in 2010 and it was going to come to the United States. And I was pretty excited about this because we haven't had really a strong utility vehicle like that, ute vehicle like um, everybody else has, really, right. as we're finding out. Every other place. We haven't had a big, strong, powerful one like that in a long time, since the El Camino. Right, and this was uh, this was unveiled as the VE Commodore ute, right? Yeah, exactly, because, again, Commodore is another vehicle that, that Holden produces. They produce right. uh, another vehicle that... Um, the Monaro, I think, is what we created, or we called the GTO here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So there's this mix of, you know, back and forth, and they rebadge them for whatever market they're in. So they bring them over here, and they call them GTO. Over there, they're called the Monaro. Over yeah. over there, the Commodore. Over here, um, uh, well, it would be one of these vehicles. It would have been a, a Commodore sports truck, really. And the audience liked it in 08, and, say, and they said, we're going to make this in... 2010. Yeah, it's on the way. And people were excited because it was on the G8 platform, so this is something they could definitely do. Right. And it had a 361 horsepower, 6 liter V8 engine, which was the same as the G8 GT car that they had. And, you know, we see those on the road. They're great looking cars and they're very, very powerful, quick yep. cars. Um, slated for 2010 release, but due to the budget cuts and then eventually the entire cutting of the Pontiac line in 2009. Right. We never got it. It is. Uh, we do know that we do know that at least one confirmed prototype was built. Yeah, I wonder where that thing is. I wonder if it ended up in the GM Heritage Collection. Yeah, or, maybe or it may be there. I, I I don't know where they keep their prototype vehicles because I don't know if that's just production vehicles or not. Maybe. It, oh no, you know what? They do have pro- um, prototype vehicles in the Heritage Collection because they have all the Firebird vehicles. Yeah, they do. They do have prototypes, but it's not as if they have every single prototype they've ever done. That's true. This one may be in a warehouse somewhere. It may yeah. be on display at a at a GM headquarters somewhere. Uh, I just don't know where this thing is. Maybe hidden in the home of an eccentric billionaire. Could be. It'd be interesting to find out. And it's really no mystery. I mean, I don't, I'm not to say I'm not saying that it's lost or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I just haven't looked into it. Yeah, we just haven't <laughs> found out where it is. But um, it's too bad that we didn't get the G8 ST here in the United States because I think yeah. that's something that our market needs and, and wants. And you know, Australia, they're uh, they've got so many of these things out there. I mean, they've got the the uh, the HSV Maloo. 
the Blue R8, and then Ford has got the uh, the version. Of, what do they call that? The uh, it had an acronym for it. The FP. Oh, I can't remember. FPV. F, yeah, FPV F6 or whatever it was called. Uh-huh. The uh, the tornado version, the typhoon version. You know, they've right, got all these yeah. different versions. Um, but I think it's something that's lacking from the U.S. market, and I wish we had it. And uh, never say never. Perhaps it will return to our shores. Scott, I think we're we're about wrapped up here, yeah? I think so. And I know mm-hmm. Australian listeners are saying, you didn't mention this X or Y, y or whatever or it was. Yeah. 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 So I hope we've covered it definitely right. to the best of we could do. Yeah. And we'd like to thank John, Josh, and Wayne, as well as everybody else who wrote in yeah. to ask for more stuff about the Utes. Now, Scott, I'm into this uh, idea of the Ute culture. I'd like to learn more about these musters. You know, I would too. <laughs> I would too. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that's a that's a cool gathering of people. I, I would like to see what goes on. Maybe we can find some videos, some some literature about it. You know, what yeah. happens when it's happening? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe we can uh, uh, talk to our bosses about a road trip. I put it on the expense report and head out there. Right, a sure. couple of first class tickets to Australia. That's what we need. Yeah, the first class tickets to Australia with Ute rentals. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. With an a Malu R8 rental. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go for that. Uh, I'm going to go for that Commodore. That's a, uh, that's a tall order, Ben. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know what? We'll start working on it now. And Scott, as you and I are heading out to uh, research our next adventure, uh, do you have anything in particular? Uh, some email you'd like to get? You know what, Ben? How about we skip it this time? We've been talking for almost an hour about youth vehicles, and I feel like we're we're still kind of just scratching the surface on these things. Let's just uh, let's just move on, and we'll go. We'll we'll get the email next time, maybe. Yeah, and uh, if you would like your email to be read on the show, then go ahead and uh, write to us. Our email address is carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.